Hello, everyone. My name is Carl Vreeland. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome, Carl. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Terrific. Well, we start the show in the same way every day. We have the guest read the daily reflection for the day. Today is June 9th. Would you get us started and read? Sure. Daily reflection for June 9th, living in the now. First, we try living in the now just in order to stay sober, and it works. Once the idea has become a part of our thinking, we find that living life in 24-hour segments is an effective and satisfying way to handle many other matters as well. Living Sober, page seven. One day at a time. To a newcomer, this and other one-liners of AA may seem ridiculous. The passwords of the AA fellowship can become lifelines and moments of stress. Each day can be like a rose unfurling according to the plan of a power greater than myself. My program should be planted in the right location just as it will need to be groomed, nourished, and protected from disease. My planting will require patience and my realizing that some flowers will be more perfect than others. Each stage of the petals unfolding can bring wonder and delight if I do not interfere or let my expectations override my acceptance. And this brings serenity. Fantastic. Thanks so much for reading that, Carl. And Carl, I know you are a teacher, a spiritual seeker, you're a yoga teacher, and I think this is, um, it's interesting that the selection for today, the daily reflection for June 9th is entitled Living in the Now, and that's so intimately connected with meditation and, and mindfulness. So I'm curious, how does this resonate with you? What do you think about when you think of living in the now? Quite a few things. The first thing that comes to mind is being less so in my head, in thought, thinking about the past, concerning myself with the future, dwelling on worries and concerns and such. Mm. Secondly, I feel as though I've heard it put that God dwells in the present moment. So I feel most connected when I'm in the present moment. I even think of the present moment being with a capital P and a capital M. I like that. I like that a lot. Carl, how did you get into mindfulness practice? Let's see. It really started, it was because of quite a bit of physical pain. I had a lot of back issues and chronic back pain and sciatica and upper back pain. So it was 
for physical reasons initially. I got into a yoga practice and I found I lived I knew little about it. And I got into the pranayama practice, the breathing. And there was something about it though. I went into it for physical reasons, but right away I knew that something else was at work. As if I was neglecting my inner life. Yeah, because uh and it's I find I found later it's quite common that in the resting pose at the end of class, Shavasana it's called, corpse pose. My first class I was lying there and suddenly I just started weeping. And I didn't really know why. It was some sort of release and message, I suppose, telling me that I don't know if I realized it then. Looking back, I realized I was neglecting my inner life. I needed to do some inner work. And I think that was the one message, at least, of a few. January 12th, 1999. Fantastic. And maybe talk a little bit about what was happening in January of 1999 that caused you to believe that you needed a different way of life. Well, actually, it happened sometime before then. A few years before then, I tried to quit on my own. It was largely due to I felt I was not knowing really anything about alcoholism, truthfully. I was I wanted to stop drinking for, for uh, health reasons. I thought it would be in my best interest. The other thing was I couldn't stop myself from driving drunk. So I tried to quit several times prior to that date, whereas I was able to remain abstinent for six months, and then I would binge for two or three months. Something usually would happen, trigger me. And then I quit again for maybe nine months, and then, bam, something triggered me again. Until eventually this uh, woman therapist I was seeing persuaded me to go, to go to a meeting. And that's when, if you want me to go on, that's what then and there, after that meeting, I was fortunate to go to a very strong speaker meeting and the speaker had a, excuse me, a powerful message. And I realized then and there I was an alcoholic and uh, I never picked up again 22 years ago. Mm. I was fortunate. Yeah. And do you still go to meetings today? Yes. Yes. Although I've never been uh, a real meetings guy. I'll go on average once a week, mm -hmm. but I do work the program seriously and do fellowship and sponsor. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, I'm a yoga teacher and I think you mentioned and a meditation teacher. Uh, I'm in it every day. So I'm carrying this message of recovery and well-being to my yoga students and not just people in the rooms in recovery. Everyone is suffering to some degree spiritually, whether it's whether they're alcoholics or not. Yeah. In my view. Yeah. And to what degree do you think your yoga practice and your mindfulness helps you in your addiction? I think it's no coincidence that I've been sober 22 years and I've been practicing yoga for 21 years. It's a big part of my recovery. And I only saw that more definedly, more clearly years later, what an important role it played and continues to play. Hmm. For one, one part of the three parts of alcoholism, the disease of alcoholism, is a physical one. And that's how I treat the physical part of the, the uh, disease. 
And yoga is about connecting body, mind, spirit. So by doing so, I remain in the present moment. I remain connected to my body and the spiritual realm, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the breathing is so important. The breathing, it's interesting in meditation. It's often said, a teacher will often say that the breath is always present. If we focus on the breath, we'll be in the present moment. And the breath is interesting because you don't have to be of any particular belief system or follow any particular dogma. The breath is just neutral, but it's always there and it's it's present and it's powerful. The yogis believe that they call it pranayama, the life force, the breath. So when we're breathing in, we're breathing in the life force, energy. Yeah. That keeps me, that puts me on the beam. It's interesting. I could be off balance. I get on the mat for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. It doesn't matter. It gets me right back on the beam. I get connected because it gets me out of my head for one. Because Because usually us alcoholics, we, that's when we're in trouble, headed for trouble, when we're, start spending a little too much time in our heads. And so it gets me out of my head, the physical practice, the movement, the breathing. It's so interesting that you mentioned that, Carl, and it's a dichotomy. You have this getting, getting quiet, finding peace, being by yourself, but not being in your head. And I'm wondering, for the folks listening that are not meditation practitioners, What advice might you have for them around just sitting quietly and focusing on your breath? Like, how can someone get started with a meditation practice? That's a good question. I think that we could parallel it it to the emotional sobriety and the emotional detox that is necessary to achieve good sobriety. So many of us put down the drink. But it's through the step work and such and living by these spiritual principles and behaving and acting differently and and being more vigilant and watchful of our thoughts and words and actions that create change and hence connecting to our higher power by doing so. Because we're not blocked by the things such as our character defect by working the program. So we begin to let go of anger and resentment and fear and anxiety, the things that block us from our higher power. So your question again was, I lost track. It's, I hate making blanket statements about what they might experience, but, and this is the parallel I wanted to make that I forgot there for a moment, is mm-hmm. that for me, sitting in meditation was torturous at first. I couldn't sit still. I was uncomfortable physically. My mind wouldn't quiet. So there was a detox that I had to go through, a hump I had to get over. And it was difficult. It was challenging. But I stayed with it, just like we stay with this program. We 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 stumble, we we fall, but we get back up again, and we keep at it. So it takes a discipline, just like the twelve step program. It's a discipline, working mm-hmm. the steps, following the instructions. So it's the same thing. This was the case with meditation. But here's the beauty of it: is that now, getting over that hump, 
I'm comfortable in my skin. Things are quiet. But there are off days, right? Where we're a little off balance. What meditation has given me that's most noticeable that I can explain is that, and this is great for alcoholics who are feel-good junkies, I've been able to get find comfort in the discomfort. So the Mm -hmm. fear or anxiety or these intense emotions or thought, I'm I'm okay with them now. I have a different relationship with them. I don't push them away or wish them away or hate them. They're not the enemy anymore. It's just part of life now. So I'm comfortable with it. I can sit Mm -hmm. in the discomfort comfortably. It, It may sound strange, but that's my experience now. Yeah. I love that. Finding comfort in the discomfort. And I think it, it does take, I've, I've, I was taught to meditate by my current sponsor, Louie, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. And I love the way he describes sitting in the present and knowing that thoughts will come. And that's okay. You, you're never going to be thought free. You're never going to sit immediately and begin to meditate and find this peace immediately. And you described it perfectly. It is discomfort. It is uncomfortable when you get started, but just practicing and knowing that it's going to happen and letting the thoughts come and letting them go. I find comfort in that as well. I don't meditate as much as I probably should, but, but when I do on a consistent basis, it's just really, it's powerful. And so thank you for that. I did want to touch on the higher power. And I love what you said about the capital P in the present. Tell me how you came up with this conception of a higher power. Well, the past and the future, and I've learned this. I also practice Buddhism. I've learned this, I think, more so in Buddhism than anything else, in that when we're dwelling when we're thinking about the past or the future, fantasizing, swept away by thoughts and in thought, we're in imagination. The present moment is the only moment that exists, right here, right now. Being fully engaged in this moment where in life, we're not in imagination, we're not in fantasy, we're not in our heads, we're fully engaged with the now. And again, I believe, in my experience, that's where God dwells. That's where our higher power is, right there in the present moment, because otherwise we're in our heads otherwise. So we're not connected to God. We're not connected to life, to the cosmos, to energy, to others, to nature, all happening right now. You and I Mm -hmm. talking fully engaged. The most common thing I see in the rooms of AA, I could tell when someone, I don't want to say doesn't have a good program or sobriety, but I can at least say when someone is not listening. How often do you hear, I didn't really, you know, I tuned out, right? When, when it's time to raise your hand after someone speaks or if there was a reading You can look around the room and you can see who's really in the moment listening, because usually the ones who are not are just looking down, 
with a stare. You could see they're in their heads. They're not fully mm. engaged in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what we could call it. We could, we could say that's very common for an alcoholic or drug addict, mm. any kind of addict. Way too much time in their heads. So <laughs> how can you be connected to God in life and others and everything that's God manifested, people, everything? You're not there. That's mm -hmm. how I see it. Hopefully that was clear yeah. and it answered your yeah. question. No, it's great. And it has me thinking of, of the term worldly distraction. We've got all of these things swirling around in our, they're opportunities for distraction. And it's only when we are able to focus and listen and, and direct our attention to, to something that really matters that, that we get that, that we get the fullest experience, whatever we're trying to tune into. And yeah, I'm feeling that right now, as a matter of fact, in the conversation, I'm enjoying it immensely. So tell me about how you got into the program and, and how you work the steps. I know it was quite some time ago. Did you have an opportunity to work the steps again? Or tell me a little bit about your step work. Unfortunately, when I first entered the rooms of AA, put down the drink, I had no interest in the steps or getting a sponsor. I had no interest in the literature. It didn't resonate with me because even though I was raised a Christian, by then I was an atheist. So I thought I was all, I was good. I thought I was good. I put down the drink. I succeeded in doing that. But in the six years of doing that, my life got worse in many ways. I see it in hindsight. I didn't have my medicine. I didn't know what alcoholism really was. I didn't know what emotional sobriety was yet because I wasn't listening. I wasn't reading the literature. I wasn't doing the work. So I had several emotional rock bottoms, emotional breakdowns. So I never picked up, but they were emotional breakdowns. And the last one was a doozy. And that's when, again, this wonderful therapist that I'm indebted to said, you better get a sponsor tonight. <laughs> so I did, and I did the step work. And it was very challenging, but I did it because I was desperate. I was in a lot of pain, emotional, psychological pain. And it did, the first time I did the step work, it helped, but not entirely. I had to do it again a year later, I think, after. I st was still having difficult, but I was gaining a great understanding of what was going on, what alcoholism was, what spiritual brokenness was, and such. So after mm. the second time, and getting beat up quite a few times by life, which, you know, I, generally I'm just a stubborn guy. I have to get beat up, not hardcore, emotionally, psychologically. I didn't lose my job or lose my family or lose my arm or anything like that. Like some of the stories you hear what people go through before they finally get it. But it was more emotional. I, I lived with mm. suicidal thoughts for many years and, and deep depression. So that was my, that's how it, the alcoholism affected me, the spiritual mm. brokenness and trauma and such. Yeah. But then profound change, a, a major shift occurred through the work. My, mm. even though I had the yoga practice and the Buddhist practice, it was through the step work and AA, the fellowship and such that 
that was my entry point to the spiritual world and a higher power. And then yoga and Buddhism became spiritual practices. Whereas they were just, yoga was just more or less a physical practice. Buddhism was a methodology. I gained a great understanding through Buddhism, but of fear and anxiety and anger and such. But it was through AA. Mm. Designed for alcoholics. A spiritual path designed for alcoholics. A spiritual method, if you will. Right? Program. Love it. So I know there are folks listening that may not be into the program. Maybe they're they're just checking things out. What advice might you have for somebody in that state? In my opinion, firstly, you have you have to stay sober. You have to stay abstinent, whatever. You can't pick up a drink or a drug. In my opinion, the way I see it, you're not going to get anywhere doing that. I haven't seen otherwise. If, if you find a way, or as they say, an easier, softer way, let me know. I'm in. <laughs> right. It's hard. It's a hard task. I don't want to be discouraging, but it's a hard, but it's well worth it. I, my mm-hmm. life has profoundly changed. It's it, beyond scientific explanation. 20 years of therapy didn't do it. So stay sober, stay clean, be patient. Do the work. Forgive yourself. Forgive others. Just do whatever you can. Uh, even if it's other stuff, read some Buddhism, read some yoga, get into yoga, get into meditation. I do as much as I can to stay sober, to keep the grace coming. I like this life. I don't want to go back to the old one. So I do whatever I can to keep it happening to keep it going, to keep living this way. And it even gets better and better. Yeah, for sure. That's inspiration right there. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we begin to wrap up? (sighs) Yeah. I know that at the start, we have to trust the program, trust a higher power, trust these people in the fellowship like myself and you, Mike. And for me, the way I see it is that they're just words and concepts and ideas. Until we experience serenity, until we experience good sobriety, until we experience how what it's like to be able to let go of anger and resentment, until we experience grace, something that has been missing in our life, a power that we lack, it's the experience that eventually I got a glimpse of and a taste of, and I was like, oh, I like that. I want more of that. So up until then, it was, there are no guarantees. Can you guarantee me when this is going to happen to my sponsor? Asking questions like that, like, it's not happening. Maybe I'm a hopeless case. We can't set a time frame. But I understand that there's a, this is where faith comes in. I guess you could say. This is where faith comes in. Until we have that experience, we go, oh, I, okay. It's an experience. I think 
we spoke earlier, you and I, and I talk about God in that way. I was an atheist. I don't intellectualize God any longer. God's an experience. I do this work, I do this spiritual work that's been handed down to us from the, the divinely inspired people, Bill Wilson, Buddha, whoever, whomever, Jesus. I practice the path, I walk the path, and then the experience comes by walking the path. We're, uh, there's a gratitude you, that the work's been done for us. We just have to follow it. We just have to follow the instructions, walk the path, be guided by people like you and I who have been around a long time and trust and have some faith. And then once we get a taste of, of grace, then it's so hang on until then. That's great advice. That's great advice. Carl is a, a spiritual seeker, a teacher. He's got a podcast. He teaches yoga online and, uh, and writes about his path and the journey that he's on. If you want to find out more information about Carl, you can visit his website, carltvreeland.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Carl, I want to thank you so much for spending time with me and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. It's been great, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to know you, and hope we stay in touch. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day. This podcast produced by Lee McGinnis and Michael Lynn. Audio editing services by Jeff Bain.